This is episode six with fitness coach and entrepreneur Sean Jenkins talking about masculinity, parenting, and raising resilient young women. Welcome to Conversations with Yvette. I'm your host, Yvette Jane, mom of two, yoga teacher, and blogger. In each episode, we bring you advice from parenting experts or real talk from other parents to help you keep calm through the ups and downs of parenting. Thanks for spending some time with us. Now let's tune in. Uh, You have an interesting way of defining masculinity. Can you talk a little bit about that? All right, so... Definition of masculinity, you know, it's, uh, it's grown and it's evolved over, you know, we've got lifetimes of internal definitions of it. So I tried to, my perspective on masculinity is the the ability to be a man that understands how to be empathetic, that understands the value of being um, strong at times, but also vulnerable at times understands that leadership is the of utmost importance and also being able to be the individual who doesn't necessarily always have to speak up but is always like that that true north star uh so what that means is, is you don't have to be vocal at all times you just have to have a strong presence um you don't always have to be strong but you do value uh, vulnerability. So being able to be um, like water in essence and flowing with the needs of the, in the environment that's surrounding you, your masculinity is pretty much how you show up in that particular moment. Um, so do you show up for the individual who needs that uh, supportive hand? Do you show up for the individual who needs some leadership? You know, um, it's it's trans it's transcendent of one definition or ideology. Mm-hmm. And for guys, especially now in a world where boys are expected to be competitive, yep. and to be aggressive, um, how yep. how do you navigate through that, or how would you raise a boy? You, I know you have girls, <laughs> but, but I mean, so it's interesting. Um, competition does not bother me, right? So competition, I think, because competition exists even amongst women. Um, in essence, when you're competing, you should be competing with yourself about making sure that you're becoming better, you know, and never, uh, never settling for mediocrity. So I'm a huge proponent of internal competition, you know, and it's the individuals who misunderstand the internal um, competition and turn it into an external competition. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe there should always be some degree of of never settling for second best. Now, second best doesn't mean coming in first. Second best means never settling for you not giving your all. You know, so um, that's how I view competition. Now, aggression is it's it is probably the most misunderstood. Um, scenario with young boys Um, because as we're growing up stereotypically we weren't allowed to be expressive about her feelings or be uh, expressive about our frustrations 
about what's happening to us. And that's what tend to lead young men into like having aggressive tendencies because we didn't have an outlet to be vocal. Now, I'm noticing that there is less of an aggression with the young man or female who has the outlet to express how they're feeling, um, who, who, have, who have the outlets to be vulnerable with their parents or even their friends. You know, they tend to be less aggressive. So I would actually separate um, competition and aggressiveness, you know, because they're two separate topics. Um, while they do show up at the same time, often with young men, but they're on different tangents, if that makes any sense. Hmm. Um, can you explain a little bit further? Um, which part? Like, what, what did you mean about the different taggings? Tangents. So, oh, tangents, so yeah. Tangents. So, yeah, competition has one aspect of life, and then aggression has different. So yes. I wouldn't combine the two of them at all. I would actually separate the two topics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, I, I think competition is healthy. You know, competition doesn't breed for complacency. Competition uh, puts a goal in front of you. You know, I believe that um, putting goals and setting markers for all individuals, males or females, is a very healthy thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And you, you yourself have an athlete mentality. I mean, you're you're a warrior dad. Um, How does this athlete mentality help you through parenting? So that's very interesting. Um, the easiest mentality that I would apply the athletic training to would be like a marathon runner. Um, mm-hmm. If you, it's it's about the long distance run. You know, there is no quick fix in parenting, right? So we all know um, one thing might work for one child and doesn't work for the other child. One thing might work for the first two years of their life and then they grow and you have to evolve with them. So I think if I was to use any form of like athleticism in my parenting, it would just be about the the process of becoming a great athlete runs in direct parallel of the process of becoming a great parent. You don't start out a great parent and you don't start out a great athlete. You have to work to become a great parent and a great athlete. And that's that's where I would see the similarities. I absolutely agree, and I love that. Um, and we had a previous conversation quite a while back, maybe about a year ago. Um, and from what you've told me, your mom is such a warrior. Such a warrior. <laughs> she. So you for, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, from what I remember, uh, she worked in investment banking at a time wh- when there were many strikes against her. Uh, one, yep. be- one being a woman and the yep. other being a minority. Yep. And can you talk about your experience seeing her resilience? Oh, yes. Yeah. So her resilience. Um, my mom rarely ever showed um, a sense of vulnerability or or fear and in all fairness that's kind of um, made it difficult for me when I've been in in relationships when I pick up on um, that show a degree of fear or that lack of resilience Um, 
she was so strong in who she was and her character that I often had to like really focus on when the when she was upset or hurt, you know, because she just has such a strong character. Um, being in that environment, being surrounded by the old boys club, knowing that the, the, the glass ceiling is above you, knowing that you have so many um, constraints that are coming at you that you have no control over, but you still have to be steadfast in your your beliefs and your, 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 your positioning in that environment that, you know, you almost don't allow yourself to feel vulnerable, you know? So that's why she be, just became such a rock in my opinion. She's still my rock in my opinion because she was just able to endure that environment um, for such a long period of time, you know? But also in, in all fairness, she had a great financial career. So there was a there was a give and take to it, you know. Mm-hmm. So while the an adversarial scenario, there's also a financial benefit to it, you know. She did, she had a great career financial. Mm-hmm. And do you think that foundation and and seeing her that way has that fed into the way you raised your daughters who are now teenagers? Oh my God! Yes, like it's. It, it is one of the things that I talk to, and particularly my oldest daughter about, is um, the value of the resilience and the value that she's always going to have to work harder for. You know, she's a female, she's a, she's a brown baby, and, she's and how, grown I, up in New York. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. sorry. You uh, how old is she again? She's 13. 13, okay. She's a brown yeah, baby. Yeah, she's 13. Yeah. Yeah, so she's 13, and my other one is turning nine. Okay. So you, know, so in New York City, you know, it's it's pretty rough when she they are afforded amazing lifestyles, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they live in Fort Greene. It's an amazing community. It's also uh, an extremely, like, it's becoming, it was very diverse, and now it's moving more, less diverse, and it's all based upon the socioeconomics, people who can afford to move in. Right. to that environment mm-hmm. you know so um, my ex-wife and i we bought a condo 20 years ago for about one hundred thirty thousand dollars, and now the condo is worth 1.5 so literally my daughters are in an environment where they see the best of everything but at the same time in their school not everyone is at that same level financially mm-hmm. to able to afford the best of everything and i personally love that i personally love that duality you know, I think all kids should grow up in a duality because when kids are not exposed to the reality of life, when we shelter them, we're doing them a disservice. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of parents think, oh, I have to make sure that my kids never feel any discomfort uh, or see any level of hardships. I think we're setting them up for failure because when the first time they ever witness hardship or they see it, you know, they don't know how to handle it. 100%. Mm-hmm. And so we keep our daughters in the, a public school, you know, they still ride the bus, you know, and they get to experience life from many different angles. And I love that. And I, and I feel like if you grow up in New York City, you've got the best of both worlds, especially if your parents are, are socially inclined to bring you around and bring you to cool events and do cool stuff, you know, you just have the 
the access to the world. So long story short, I provide this environment where they are empowered through having access. They are empowered to knowing that they are strong, that they are gifted. Um, we empower them to go ahead and explore. So that same level of resiliency that my mom exhibited and bestowed on to me, I then give to them and say, hey, I'm giving you uh, five more steps on the ladder that my mom gave me. You know, so for example, my 13-year-old, she loves to ride horses. You know, we talk about a little brown baby that lives in Brooklyn who is a full-fledged equestrian. Mm-hmm. That looks fucking amazing on a college application. Mm-hmm. But we're not pushing her to be an equestrian because I don't want her, I don't want to spoil her dreams. We're not being helicopter parents. She's the one that's every weekend getting out there and going after it. So it's her passion. But at the same time, she comes home and she still dances to like Rihanna. She still likes to wear, you know, whatever Brooklyn kids like to wear, like Michael Jordan's. You know, so she's like the she's like the <laughs> episode of, of like flipping in and out of both worlds. And then my little one, you know, I think she's probably clinically a genius. It, it's a little scary at times. That's how sharp she is. Mm-hmm. And then she goes from being brilliant into wanting to wear tutus and tiaras. Mm-hmm. You know, so we don't box them into any category. You know, I don't say to my genius, hey. You need to keep your heads in the book. You're a math kid. You're a math whiz. You understand algebra at age nine. Let's keep this going. I'm going, no. If you want to put on a tutu and tiara, you want to go you know, paint unicorns, go ahead and do it. But you're also already a math genius. So I don't have to worry about accentuating your math genius because you, you're doing it yourself. My goal is to make you a well-rounded individual. You know, and because it, I often feel bad for the kids who are geniuses and parents just only stifle them and stick them in a box and don't allow them to be kids. And I see it happen way too often. And these kids turn out to be miserable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, they need to find the freedom to find their own passion and purpose. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Um, So, and it's so cool that you really, you know, you're grounded to your roots and you just carry that forward into the next generation. I found that so cool. Thank you. Um, So what has been the most challenging aspect of parenting for you so far? I mean, with two teenage or like, you know, tween teen girls, I would imagine (laughs) boys. So funny enough, funny enough, funny enough, funny enough. Um, Boys hasn't become a, a hot topic. Yeah, I know. Oh, good. <laughs> you know, I'm waiting for it. You know, they're around. My 13-year-old, there's some boy that she likes. Um, the good thing is she's not overly impressed, mm-hmm. you know. So she's hanging around dad. You know, for example, dad brings her to, like, Soho House. We go to the Hamptons. It's kind of hard to impress TJ and Brookie mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, if you're not as cool as my dad, then... And your okay. dad is, wait, her, her dad is too cool. I mean, really. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, I find it entertaining because when I show up at their school, all the kids know who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's, it's that dynamic. So their relationship with boys is not as, um, uh, they're not boy crazy yet. I don't know if they ever will be. You know, they like they talk about boys, they're like, oh, he's cute, you know, but they, they're not, um, 
they they haven't fallen victim into that moment yet. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not saying that it won't happen, <laughs> but it it just hasn't manifested yet. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had a situation where you've had to protect your daughter from an instance where she didn't feel comfortable with guys, or just like okay, no. like like you open up? So we um we've always done an amazing job with um me and the girl's mom we're we're alert to today's society is highly toxic right mm. in terms of the growth of any young child male or female i mean name you know, name so, your poison yeah <laughs> yeah so we we've been fortunate enough to always have one of us around or close family relatives around it we trust and value you know where they're never put in an awkward or uncomfortable position. You know, my daughters don't sleep over anyone's house um, unless it's a direct family member. They, you know, there's just certain things we just set in place Mm -hmm. so that we don't have to worry about those scenarios. Mm -hmm. You know, we we monitor their, their social media. Neither one of them have Instagram. Neither one of them have Snapchat. Uh, neither one of them has Facebook, so we we have removed that. They they're completely aware of those items, but they're also aware that we don't want them to have it because we view those things as toxic to their growth and development as young ladies. So those are things we're kind of keeping away from. Us. Sooner or later, we'll have, we won't be able to control um, those things. But if you if you make it a non-issue for them early they aren't as infected by it later down the line in my opinion now it could be wrong but you know um right now it seems to be working mm-hmm. so for you having strong boundaries sets them up for success yes now these boundaries aren't they're not we just have certain boundaries right mm-hmm. so I know certain parents who would never have their kids hang out with them in some of the environments that I hang out in. Like, I don't hang out in anything crazy, but I might bring my daughters with me to Soho House and we hang out Mm -hmm. while I'm having a drink and talking to someone. Mm -hmm. And they're just being cool little kids. Or uh, I'll go to a restaurant and I bring them with me, you know, so... My boundaries are all about creating a positive uh, perspective for them, you know, showing them um, support. So it's not that I want to control every single aspect of their life. I just see certain things as extremely toxic, you know, so I don't I don't want to shelter them if that makes any sense. I do want them to see the world and I do want them to see the the sadness and the beauty of the world uh, but I just I try to minimize the level of like negative imagery that they're seeing mm-hmm. and it's, inter- it's interesting too that you bring them to um, an environment where you know other parents might question it and I, I think honestly parenting is like everybody has their own thing yeah. that works for them so I, I honor yeah. it I don't question it at all um, yeah. 
And it's interesting that you mentioned you take them to Soho House. So they view you drinking and having a conversation. But so it's still, even though others might perceive that might be a, a negative experience, like it could be positive for them. So they don't see like the sadness in it. They say, oh, you're, my dad's hanging out. He's having yeah. a drink, but he's in control of himself and his yes. decisions. Yes. And I can see something positive here. And, you know, that might later on be in their consciousness when they are yeah. in a similar environment. They don't have to go to like town just because they're at a bar. They can just still yes. have that positive yeah. imagery. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And then there's no stigma. There's no stigma behind it. There's no, oh, I can actually just relax and hang out. Or yeah. I can be in this environment. I'm not affected. Or That's right. Says, Hey, let's go out and just get hammered. You go, well, my dad doesn't get hammered when he goes out, so I, I don't think I need to get hammered, you know? And, right. And then, in hindsight, they also get to see what people look like when they're really drunk. So they go, oh, that doesn't look good. Yeah. So they see that, because girls are very aware of, like, those types of uh, social cues. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, that doesn't really look too cool. And you're like, yeah, you're right. So... Those are the conversations. Or um, I do things like I ride a motorcycle. I also smoke cigars. I don't smoke cigars directly in front of my daughters, but my daughters know that I smoke cigars. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a lot of parents who live in a square box that would be freaked out about that. But my daughters are like, no, my dad is an amazing person. This is what he likes to do. He's not harming you. So once again, parenting is all, it's all different. You know, it's it's all about the exposure. But what I can say is that my daughters won't be in shell shock mm-hmm. when they go to college. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> I can say my daughters won't be getting flipped over and doing crazy shit at a frat house because they would have, they understand and they see what looking like a fool looks and feels like. You know, so those types of scenarios just once again in terms of sheltering and also providing structure for them. Those are the important things to me in terms of growing up in New York City. You know, if I lived in like the middle of America and I was a farmer, I I might have my daughters out in the plow with me, you know, picking up hay and doing whatever I need to do to take care of the farm. You know, it's all applicable to the environment that you're in. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. All right, so I love the North Star and water metaphor you mentioned at the beginning (laughs) of this practice. Do you happen to practice yoga? Um, Do I practice yoga? So I don't practice it enough to say that I'm efficient. Um, I'm often told that I'm a yogi by spirit, by heart. I think so, Uh, too. (laughs) But um, I don't practice it enough to say that I'm efficient in uh, saying that I'm a yogi. You know, but I was also told by someone that anyone could just be a yogi. Doesn't mean you have to have the perfect uh, flexibility, but it's really just in your spirit and your mindset. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely. Um, so I happen to practice in Baptiste, uh, practice and teach um, in the style of Baron Baptiste. And so those those are some of the metaphors that he uses. And I just I just found it interesting that you had used those words specifically. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and North Star I'm like well not everything yeah so um, what brings you joy like what's your North Star alright so I mean my family's my North Star through and through everything that I do if it doesn't align with me um, 
in terms of uh, keeping them in my perspective, I don't do it. You know, so if I can't look up and say, "Hey, what I'm doing right now keeps me in path to make sure that my family's okay or my family will respect my decisions," I don't do it. So, what makes me personally happy? Personally happy, I love to train. I love to work out. Um, I love to train in my Muay Thai. I love the duality of being a warrior, a, a true warrior, but also a spiritual person. Um, in essence, if you think about it, uh, Buddhist monks are the same way. You know, they just go into solitude in their practice. You know, Buddhist monks prepare and they practice their martial arts day in and day out, but they live such a Zen life. You know, they're, they're non-confrontational. But at the end of the day, they do know how to protect themselves. They do know how to protect their monasteries. So I think there's a there's a an es- there's a, a spiritual um, calling to true warriors who want to be protectors. You know, we want to be leaders. We want to be thought providers. You know, we want to provide environments for great conversation. But we also see the value that that we do have to protect our community. So that's where I see the similarity of me and that Buddhist monk, mm-hmm. except for the isolation, you know. Because mm-hmm. you're very much grounded in, in family and in your work. Right. Uh, so where they are grounded in their spirituality, I'm grounded in my family and my work. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much um, for your time. That's really all the questions I had. listening to conversations with me Yvette Jane if you like our show and want to know more about Sean follow him on Instagram at the SRJ